I, I think it's worth noting, in my opinion, this has probably been exacerbated a bit by the fact that, that rich, initially you probably had Jewish converts and then Gentile converts and they're together, but then all of the uh, Jewish converts are kicked out of Rome for five years. And by the time any of them can come back, uh, the Gentiles are just thriving and doing fine on their own and, and uh, not been influenced by uh, the Jews for five years. And, and uh, it's not so easy to reintegrate. They're, they're not necessarily of the same mindset about a number of things. And so I think that's part of what's prompting what we're going to see Paul address uh, here in, in this part that, that we're going through. I would agree. Chapter 11 certainly does that, right? While much of this is written to, at least from a, a Jewish perspective of what they need to do to keep the law in in the right boundaries, chapter 11 is clearly a message to the Gentiles going, whoa, 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 right? Before, yeah. I mean, if God can do that to the Jews, he can certainly do it with a bunch of uh, grafted in branches to use yeah. language that he would use. But in, in terms of this, I go back to Romans 1. And when I teach it, I suggest there's a thesis. If this is an essay, then we should be able to find a thesis statement, right? Uh, or something that is going to resemble or is akin to a thesis statement. And I think that's in Romans 1, verse 16. Now, it's slightly confessional, but you can yeah. see a thesis in here that really does define the overall message of the book, right? So verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? So what which he, he means Gentile. Right. That's exactly right. So to that where he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but then he tells us what the gospel of Christ is. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Thus, the thesis would be somewhere in this, he's going to address, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile, all salvation is going to come through Christ. And that's the only way in which salvation can be made manifest, right? So regardless of this audience, this is going to be the message. The gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is the power of God into salvation for everybody. And so if you find that thesis, then you can start to go through the chapters and see how has he developed that argument. Right. And in fact, by the end of chapter one, if you go through the rest of chapter one, again, the language is a little difficult to follow. But what he ends up demonstrating is that everybody is guilty of something. Right. Yeah. So so whether you're Jew or Gentile, uh, your understanding of the nature of God got lost somewhere. And then you have this famous or at least not famous, but one of my favorite elements is verses 28 through 31, 30. Yeah. 28 to 31, where you just have a list of sin. Similar to like King Benjamin saying, I could list all of them, but that would be too long of a list. We can't yeah. list every way in which we do wrong. But the list is like, you look at it and it's, right, you gave over things to a reprobate mind to do things which are not convenient and unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Yeah. So Are I was you like, listening, my kids? Anyway, sorry, keep going. <laughs> right? I mean, the list is uh, murder on one hand yeah. and disobedient to parents on the other. These two things aren't necessarily equal. Right. Though I guess you right. could say they're both in the Ten Commandments. But I look at it and go, it's a spectrum of really wrongdoing to that which everybody is guilty of. And that's the point. Everybody's yeah. guilty. Yeah. So when well, you look, look at, at the two together, murder, debate. Right. That's the next thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Right. Yeah backbiters, people who have backtalked in any way, shape, or form, right? Grumbled yeah. or complained. I'm like, yep, there I am. So so I've got a list, uh, uh, just a spectrum of behaviors of which everybody's guilty of, of which can be summed up in chapter two, verse one, where he's like, therefore, thou art inexcusable. 
right? Nobody has an excuse to their behavior. So if the thesis was, is that the salvation comes through Jesus Christ and everybody needs it, then he's got to set up that everybody needs it. And that's what he's done by the end of chapter one. In Good. fact, with that, one of the one of the things that uh, I like to point out, uh, and it's going to sound really kind of technical, but the first word of chapter two is therefore, right? Right, right. Now, therefores to me are really important words in scripture mm-hmm. study, mm-hmm. not because they're doctrinally intrinsic. There's there's nothing doctrinally intrinsic about the word, but it does set up relationships between things. Yes, right. It's one of the words I tell my students they have to pay attention to. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because it sets up relationships or explains a cause of action or summative. And so in this case, you can almost see it as summative. Therefore, you're all guilty. Yeah. Right. And so with that, then he begins to develop his argument a little bit more. You can see this in chapter two, where he points out now, because we're all fallen, we're all going to end up having the same type of. So it's almost as if he jumps from the beginning all the way to the end of this. We're all going to be brought before the throne of God. We're all going to be judged by him. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And in fact, that's one of the great things that we can trust with God is he is truly just. It doesn't really matter. We're all going to go before him. And he's going to judge us based on what we know, right? And that's where this is This is an element of this where I think Romans gets tricky. You can, I don't know what you think about that, Carrie, but when Paul talks about the law, he's not always clear what he means by the law. Yeah, not sometimes it's just law of God in general. Sometimes it's law of Moses in specific, uh, and I think sometimes he is actually meaning the law of Moses. Sometimes you can say, yeah, either one, it doesn't matter. Sometimes I think he does mean the law of Moses, is in we don't need to do that. Right. Um, but but clearly we need to keep a law, uh, right. and and so you're right. It, it, he is unclear. Right. And so I've looked at it and wondered, it seems to me that the connection that he makes is between what you know and what you don't know. And therefore, it's law sometimes stands in place of that dichotomy, for lack of a better term. Right. Good. So you're going to be judged based on what you know, and he can call that law. And if the Gentiles, the Gentiles might not have the law of Moses, but they have a natural law. There are things that their society does that is just wrong, right? So you can look at verse 14, when the Gentiles, this is chapter two, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these not having the law are a law, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So there's just a set of behavior that humanity seems to generally recognize that is wrong. And so even if you don't have the law of God in whatever form it's in, and yet you still have these principles, this law that you know you shouldn't do it. In some ways, I look at it from a Latter-day Saint perspective of, um, what do we call this? The light of Christ. Right. Right? That there's an element here of where Paul talks about the light of Christ, that we, that even if you don't have an official formalized law of God, like the Ten Commandments or the, or the, or the tablets of stone, you still know what's right or wrong. And if that's true, then you're held accountable for what you do know. Right? Very good. So then he goes on and says, okay, but what if you do have the law? And if you do have the law, then what? What happens when when that isn't, when you're not doing that? And so you get down here to verse 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou not commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, though through you as it is written. Now, that's just a long way to say, okay, but if you've got the law and you break it, I mean, you might say, 
and this seems to be a Jewish argument that he's responding to, right? That the Gentiles, by the very nature that they're not with God, are unclean, right? We know this from Gen- from Jewish tradition, Jewish law later, that interaction with Gentiles is strictly prohibited, right? You're not to engage with Gentiles. They are unclean. They're whatever you want to say, bad influence that you're going to have to deal with later. So he's responding to this going, okay, but if you have the law and you break the law, isn't that more dishonorable to God? No. Right? Yeah. But I think yeah, the whole which is, point- uh, King Benjamin makes the same point in a lot of ways. Yep. But anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. In fact, to me, one of the great things about uh, Romans is that you can use the Book of Mormon as commentary. Yeah. yeah. Right. What what Alma has to say about justice and mercy is going to be talked about in justification and grace in the book of Ro- in the letter to the Romans. So it's really actually quite helpful to know the Book of Mormon doctrines to some degree to getting yeah. through this. Good. But it's these last few verses here that I think gets to the next point. So again, if the thesis is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation unto all, right? Mm-hmm. And a Jew or Gentile, and it doesn't matter. Interestingly, this is this is dealing with that the problem, which is how do you deal with these Jewish and Gentile converts? And in my mind, what it means to be Israel, right? How do you define Israel? Because, because as he starts talking about the promises uh, that are made elsewhere later in this book, this is something for both Jew and Gentile, which means, which means what this book really does for me, and I know I'm rambling here for a bit, but I'm trying to get to get all the things in place so we can start exploring it more. But it seems to me that early Christianity, or at least New Testament Christianity, was in fact teaching that you all need to be a part of Israel. Hmm. Yeah, right? I, I think so. That's the way I read it. Now, I know there are people who don't read it that way, but that's how I read it. I agree. And so I know that I know that there's another way to look at this, but it sure seems to me that when they talk about covenant, they still keep it in the context of Israel. They're just defining Israel differently. And I think if you go through Acts chapter two of Peter, that's when they ask him, what do we need to do? We've been pricked in our heart. What do we need to do? He ties it back to their covenantal integrity, not their lineage, right? Yeah. But it's still tied to Abrahamic promises just with covenant. So yep. as we go through these verses, he gets to circumcision. Now, circumcision, I'm sure, has been talked about elsewhere in your podcast, right? We've dealt with it in Acts chapter 15. And in many ways, it's a stand-in for a much larger question, which right. is to become Israelite or to become Israel, do you need to become Jewish? Yeah, that that is that's been the raging question. And I I think in many ways leads to the church falling apart. But anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think sometimes we get caught up on this whole circumcision thing when it's really just a stand-in for a much larger right. doctrinal concern they've got. Right. So here's do, what- Do you become uh, someone who keeps the law of Moses in a Jewish manner or not? Right. Is really the question. Right. Right. And does the, And if you do, is that what makes you Israel? Or the, re- right. or the recipient of these incredible covenants that God made. Right. Right. So he begins now with that. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Right. Where, where if, are you? Sorry. Verse 25 of chapter two. Sorry. Okay. So for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Right. And of course you can't undo, circ- well, you can now, but you couldn't then. Let's put it that way, right? But you can't overcome circumcision. 
And yet what he's trying to say is your circumcision, this mark that demonstrates you have a particular relationship with God is void. It has no power. It has no efficacy if you're not keeping the law. Right. Yep. Therefore, in, in other words, and this is one of the great messages of the entire Old Testament and of the New Testament. You can make the covenant, but if you're not really keeping, if you're not a covenant keeper in your heart, you're not really part of the covenant. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. When we're, we're going to see this imagery again of being circumcised of heart, Stephen brought it up, right? Mm-hmm. Just as your fathers denied, so do you. You, the, you, you. you never got this in your heart. You're uncircumcised of heart. Yep. So. So this is, and again, one of the reasons I like to see that is if it is in Stephen in Acts chapter seven, right? And we don't see any place where Stephen is a disciple of Paul or anything like that. One of the challenges I see- Paul's helping to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. One of the challenges I see in in, um, early Christian studies is sometimes they want to make this huge divide between Paul and Peter and that we've got different types of Christianity out there, right? But- what I tend to see is, in fact, they're a lot more unified in message than we give them credit for. In any case, so verse 26, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Again, it's where this law is, right? And all of this will lead down to verse 28, which I think is just profound, the logic of how he got here, and it makes, and it works. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Yeah. He's just redefined what it means to be a Jew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, in a, in a way, I mean, Christ tried to as well sure. uh, in the same way, but you're absolutely right saying it's about what you're really doing in your heart not about the outward actions. Right. And so if we go back to that thesis with the question in mind, the implicit question of, well, who is Israel? Which I think really does lie behind this. He's now just begun that process. We're all fallen, but here's what makes a Jew, right? So if we're going to talk about, do you need to become Jewish to become Israel? His response is, do you even know what it means to be a Jew first? Right. 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 That's exactly right. Yeah, not all Jews are of Israel is what he's saying. So, yep. so let's forget about the Jewish thing and get to the Israel thing. Right. And if a Jew is defined by what's happening in your heart, well, then cannot the uncircumcision do something that would count as circumcision? Yeah. If it's inward, which we all recognize now is inward, even those of us who keep the law, we've got to recognize it's in our heart, right? If that's true, then what makes a Jew is really something internal, not external. Right. And that's how he's going to begin to be able to develop this, right? Good. Very good. Now, I don't know if you want to go through it chapter by chapter or not, but. Uh, It's up to you how you want to do it. I mean, yeah, we can just do one verse for all I care, whatever you want. Well, so just so in chapter three, we don't even need to go through it. He's just setting up this more of this. It's not the law that justifies us then. If it's something internal, it's it's got to be something else, right? It's Jesus Christ. But what really gets me is that this takes to chapter four, where he now introduces us to the great Christian par excellence, at least in, in Paul's setting. Yeah. And that's going to be Abraham, right? So again, he's he's going back and forth between this is what this is what the Jewish convert might feel, this is what a Gentile convert might feel. This is where we all come together. We're all fallen. We all have no excuse. We're all going to be judged of God by the law that we have. And it is ultimately the law that's in our heart, right? How we keep that law 
that is going to matter in terms of judgment. Now, in terms of our role model, who should that be? Abraham's not a bad one, right? Right. And and so you can go through this in chapter four, but was Abraham justified of works? This is an intriguing one because to his, to the Jews, Abraham is their forefather, right? Everything they have stands back to them. The reason they have the uh, promises given to them is because of Abraham, which suggests then, at least the way Paul writes, that they really do seem to see Abraham as a Jew, right? Right. Oh, yeah. The problem is, is that he isn't, right? And that's what Paul points out is you can say whatever you want. He hadn't even been circumcised when he got the covenant, though. Yeah. Right? So yeah. so he was he he was judged on his faith, on his internal relationship with God. It wasn't it wasn't that. So and Israel's his grandson anyway. So you've got someone who is, I don't know if you can say Abraham's a Gentile, but he's not a Jew. That we can yeah. say. Yeah. Right. Good. So so Abraham becomes a great model. And it, and it's funny because here um, with him discussing Abraham and how he gets his blessings through the faith and not through any works of the law, because he doesn't have the law of God that hasn't been received yet, but it's done through faith. I do find it interesting that Luke, who is a companion of Paul, decides to start his gospel uh, with the story of John the Baptist, right? So he's the only one that really starts the story there. But when you read chapter one, I, and I always wondered, why does this Gentile convert start his gospel off with a quintessentially Jewish story, right? Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is because the story of Zacharias and uh, his wife, Elizabeth, looks remarkably similar to Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And so, and, and so by making those allusions, he's tied Christ into a fulfillment of Abrahamic promises in chapter one, which means it's a perfectly good, even though the story is very Jewish, it's the perfect story for a Gentile audience to start with, that the promises of Abraham uh, were met in John the Baptist and the birth of Christ. Very anyway, good. That's neither here nor there, but but so we're setting. So in terms of his thesis development, notice he's now given us an example. Okay, we're all like this. Let's go to Abraham, who was neither Jewish, but maybe not really Gentile. He kind of fits both, and yet this is how he did it, right? And so you can go through chapter four, recognizing here that through his faith, he received these promises, the promises that are all given to us. Chapters five and uh, set up that he takes it back even further now to Adam. Right, pointing out that uh, all of these things stem back to Adam and Eve and their choice, in which now we need an atoning figure for. It's not the law that's going to save us, but through Adam's fall, we can be saved. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, you can dive through all of these verses into this, but he's talking about the fact, he's coming back to the thesis nobody can be saved. Nobody can be saved without Jesus Christ. All of us are fallen. He's set up that we're all fallen in sin. He's now setting up that we're all fallen through just physical mortality, right? So by the time you get to chapter six, he really has set up an argument where we are all in serious, serious trouble without Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. Even Abraham, the role model of all, we're all fallen. We're all stuck in this mortal, imperfect, sinful state that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can begin to see a change of that thesis beginning in chapter six with the introduction of the ordinance of baptism, right? So 
chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that we are dead to sin live any, there, uh, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we walk in newness of life. Gang, back to our thesis and back to the setup. If by chapter five, he's demonstrated that we are all sinful, we are all fallen, we are all physically imperfect, the implication is we're all dead, right? There is nothing that we can do. Mm -hmm. But through baptism, this incredible ordinance, we're reborn. Yeah. We, we right. die, we, we voluntarily die, and then we are given new life. Right, right. Or so we voluntarily can... kill part of ourselves. We can... <laughs> well, yeah. the, what was it? The old man. The old man is right. crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. So yeah. now he's moving into demonstrating the thesis. So if the first part was, I need to demonstrate why you need to be saved, now he starts talking a little bit more of how exactly that's going to manifest itself. Right. Right? right and so so again we've skipped over a lot but I, but i love romans because it really does follow a thesis and he's done a great job of demonstrating this thesis so we get we get baptism recognizing that it is both a death and a rebirth right that both of these symbols are being met in this incredible ordinance we yeah. die as you said voluntarily and are reborn in christ right 